0: Hey, everybody, this is Eric from the Fat Packs. And this week's show is brought to you by Badger Breaks, Dynasty Breaks, and Ken Carl Sports Art. Thanks for hanging out, and we'll be right back. And we are back. This is the Fat Packs Podcast coming to you live from the Sport Card Expo and Memorabilia. Or Sport Card and Memorabilia Expo. Got that right that time. Uh, and surprise, 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 our first guest this time around, happens to be Mr. Ken Reed. What's up, Ken?
1: Not much, Eric. How you doing, buddy? Man, I'm so happy to see you. I'm always happy to see you, (laughs) but you're one of those people that puts a smile on my face, which I think is great.
0: Thank you very much for that. Uh, First of all, let's talk about your hat. Vintage Goalie, what's that?
1: Vintage Goalie is a company out of Ottawa. Um, They just love old school goalies, which uh, I'm very much into. I love my old school look, my old school hockey fashions. I'll show you this. Uh oh. I picked up this beauty. Do you ever watch Trailer Park, boys? Of course. It bubbles' his helmet? Yeah. I picked up this beauty for twenty Look bucks. At that. Look at that. I'm in a hockey tournament <laughs> in Newfoundland next week and I'm gonna wear this. It's awesome. <laughs> twenty st- bucks. I couldn't believe it.
0: I know from time you're you're hit or miss sometimes here because you're at a hockey tournament or yes. you're playing in a game or something yes. like that. How, I don't, want to, I don't want you to age yourself, but does it hurt? I mean, because you're, you're kind of older. 44. 44, okay. Yeah, I'm not supposed right.
1: to say that to anybody, but for you, I'll let you know. So
0: you're 44. Does it hurt after the game?
1: Yeah, yeah, man. You get stiff. <laughs> I played in a tournament last week in Halifax. We played five games in two days, a couple pops after each game. Uh, it's actually kind of cool. It's called the Heart and Stroke Hockey Heroes Tournament. If anyone's listening across Canada, sign up. Uh, I'm off to St. John's, Newfoundland for one next week. What it is is myself, along with about 15 ex-NHLers. We go to a town, depending, and then there's 15 teams signed up. Whoever okay. raises the most money for heart and stroke gets to draft first. So last week, we went to Halifax. We had guys like Denny Savard, he's a Hall of Famer. We had Dale Howard-Chuck, Hall of Famer. John Scott, the MVP of the 2016 All-Star Game. And we just play, have fun. Crack a few pops, a few go. laughs, and tell some great old-school hockey stories. It's a blast, man. So,
0: like, after you guys play the game, is there, like, a, a gathering or something somewhere? Yeah. Yep?
1: So the night before, we have a draft party. So right. my role on the whole thing is I emcee the draft, and I, we get uh, the guys to go up. And we have a hot stove session. The old not safe for work sometimes hot <laughs> stove session. Uh, we tell stories, and then, uh, yeah, and then last week, for example, you, the, the cool thing about hockey for me is I don't miss playing. If I don't play for a winner, I don't miss that. But I miss the 15, 20 Mm -hmm. minutes you spend in the dressing room with the boys after. Sure. So we had a guy on our team last week, Chopper. He was a big hit from the library pub in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. He told stories for three hours. So we sat in the room for three hours just having a few beer, <laughs> telling hockey stories, telling life stories. It's That's what I miss about sports. It's sure. the camaraderie you get from it.
0: But you have you have such a great job anyways. You're getting to talk sports all the time.
1: I do have a good job. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's fun. It's like your job. I, I love your job too. So, yeah, I get to talk sports. I get to interview my old hockey heroes and my old baseball heroes. It all kind of works out.
0: So you've got, you've had three books, right? Am I, am I right about that?
1: Four. Four. Yeah, it sounds all important when you say four. So okay. I wrote Hockey Card Stories and then Hockey Card Stories 2. Right,
0: and then One Night Only.
1: One Night Only and then the book with Dennis Maru. Okay,
0: you're right, the fourth one. I was yeah. going to ask, is there something in the works now? Yes, or? there's something in the works oh, now.
1: Can so. we talk about yeah, it? Yeah, sure. What is it? So I'm working on a book now. I don't have a title yet, but they wanted to follow up to One Night Only, which... Did pretty well. So One Night Only, as you know, was about guys who played just a single game in the NHL. Right. So the obvious follow-up is about guys who scored just a single goal in the NHL. Oh, wow. So there's around 400 guys who once upon a time scored a goal in the NHL. And this surprised me. In the history of the NHL, there's about 6,700 people who played in the league. Mm-hmm. About 1,000 of them never scored a goal. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, that's, you know, to, so to score even one goal to me is pretty special. So there's, I've unearthed some pretty cool stories so far. Um, there's some goalies, of course. Sure. A few goalies have scored. But there's been one guy's like, nah, you know, I don't think about it every day. It's no big whoop. And other guys are, you know, it's not the, the wow. defining moment of my life, but it's something I'm pretty proud of. And uh, guys score in all kinds of crazy circumstances. I talked to one guy. His lone NHL goal was assisted by Wayne Gretzky and Yeri Curry. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Make it count, right?
0: What a way like if it's gonna be the one, it might as well be the best one, right? Hey man.
1: Get two <laughs> Hall of Famers on the score sheet with you. That's, That's pretty good. Crazy. Yeah.
0: So I've been holding on to this this little piece here for I think about about a year and a half, maybe two. Mm-hmm. And this is something that you wrote. Okay. Called Laying Them on the Table.
1: Okay.
0: And it's your top twenty one cards from the twenty one when the team was Oh,
1: right, yeah, yeah, two, yeah. From two, the eighties, yeah. 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 Can we go over this? Absolutely, let's I, do it. I've
0: been I seriously have been wanting to talk to you about this. Yeah, this
1: was on what Sportsnet.ca. Yeah, yeah, and, and
0: uh, I've seriously, this has been in my favorites for about awesome. Years. So let's okay, go. Let's do it. Uh, number number twenty-one, uh, Atlanta, Atlanta, Calgary Flames, mm-hmm. John Tanelli. Am I saying that right? Tonight. Yes,
1: John Tanelli, yeah, from the Calgary Flames. So what I loved about that card for me, I discovered John Tanelli in the nineteen eighty-four Canada Cup. Uh, Canada Soviet Union final and John Tonelli was the hardest working guy. And my dad said, watch John Tonelli. He never gives up and he never gave up. So the reason he made the list, so for me, he was burned into my young nine, ten year old eyes as a as a, as a New York Islander who played for Team Canada. And then he showed up on the Calgary Flames. And for mm-hmm. me as a as a kid, you know when a when a player gets traded and you kind of first realize, oh my god. Goodness, guys do go from team to team. Sure. That was one of those moments when I was like, oh, <laughs> you're not a an islander for life. So him being on a Flame was really weird to me.
0: Now, the Flames cards, I, I love them, especially the older ones because they have the Atlanta logo on them. Yes. Uh, you don't see those very much at all. Right. You know, so... I guess you were, you were still pretty young, but when, when they moved from Atlanta mm-hmm. to Calgary, mm-hmm. do you have any memories of that?
1: You know what my memory of that is? My memory of that is collecting 80 81 Opeachie and okay. all the Flames had the logo airbrushed out. So if you look uh. at Brad uh, Marsh's rookie card, mm-hmm. it's just a red uniform. It looks like a beer league team with no name. <laughs> wow. So that's my memory of the Flames moving from Atlanta to Calgary, wow. is if you look at the cards on 80 81 Opeachie, they just simply airbrush out the logo, so they're the logoless NHLers.
0: Very nice, very nice. All right, next up, Boston Bruins Rick Middleton, 84-85. Oh
1: man, just an absolute magician with the puck. Sure. He and Kent Nielsen. Kent Nielsen played for the Flames, and they were two undersized forwards who could just do magic. And there's a beautiful, there's a, and I say, like, and when I say beautiful, I mean beautiful. I don't mean awesome. I mean right, just beautiful montage of Rick Middleton highlights on, <laughs> on uh. YouTube and he he could just do things with the puck that that you didn't see guys do then and and when guys did try to do it then they'd be decapitated. Sure. But because he played for the Bruins, if, if you went near him, you know Terry O'Reilly would probably kill you. <laughs> right. So he he and he'd pull off those moves in the high risk areas. He was a pretty player to watch.
0: Well, so was he ahead of his time with with that um, with puck handling and stuff?
1: I, I would say yeah, he'd fit in well in today's era. Okay. But he was uh, maybe a throwback too to an era where he could get away with moves like that before the. The game got kind of little goony in the nineteen seventies. Sure, so he was a, he was a pretty pretty player.
0: All right, next card: Buffalo Sabres, Craig Ramsey.
1: Craig Ramsey. Does he have that? Oh, he has the
0: XL seven on in that
1: uh, the yeah. helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now Craig Ramsey's earlier cards had the the helmet I just showed you that I bought right, the, right. the Cooper SK three hundred. Craig Ramsey, violently underrated, awesome defensive forward. People okay. don't know that enough. He was a, and he played a, a ton of games with Buffalo. Really underrated player and. On his 1970s cards. Go dig through your 1970s O peaches or tops. Beautiful sideburns.
0: Beautiful sideburns. Oh,
1: beautiful sideburns. Because I know you did the best mustaches in sports once. Yeah, yeah. Craig would be on best sideburns and
0: sports. So, like the chops? Thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, okay. like
1: full-on fat Elvis chops. Yeah. All right.
0: Uh, next card. Chicago Blackhawks Tony Esposito eighty-three, eighty-four, 84
1: Love it He's down on the ice He's in the butterfly Tony S- Patrick Waugh Gets credit for Inventing the butterfly uh-huh. uh, A lot of people Not inventing it But kind of bringing it popularizing it, but a lot of people say Tony Esposito was the first butterfly goalie. He was the first goalie to comfortably go down on his knees. And another thing that people need to know about Tony Esposito, his eyesight was horrible. Was it? Horrible. So on that card, on his mask, he almost has his glasses on outside of the mask. Right. These weird Mm -hmm. things. So Tony used to go in his workshop and weld things and kind of (laughs) tinker with his own gear at one point. His five hole, he had like fish nets down on the insides of his of his pads, and they, the league would lay the law down on him. So Tony Esposito, great goalie, and he talked to me about his rookie card and hockey card stories. <laughs> Very nice it's book plug, bud.
0: Get that plug in there. Uh, all right, this is this one I like because it's a it's a jersey or a sweater that you just don't see. Uh, Colorado Rockies, New Jersey Devils, and Lanny McDonald.
1: Lanny McDonald is that the one? Where he, is that the eighty one, eighty two chip? Yes, sir. Look at the curve on his stick. It is freaking massive. Yes, it is. So. And we talked about how we both have cool jobs. So, one of the cool things I do is every year we go to a small town in Canada for Hockey Day in Canada. We bring the cup to a small town. So, this year we were in Lloydminster, or pardon me, Swift Current, Saskatchewan. Lanny comes with us every year. He's one of our Scotiabank Hockey Ambassadors. Okay. So, I get to hang out with Lanny and listen. Like, we've, Lanny and I have literally taken the cup along with my co anchor, Ivanka Osmak. To a pulp and paper mill in Corner Brook, it just showed up at the Stanley Cup on shift change. <laughs> you want to see some eyeballs? So Lanny's a special guy.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Next up, uh, Detroit Red Wings. Reed Larson, eighty-two, eighty-three.
1: Reed Larson. So when I was a kid, it was common knowledge amongst me and my buddies, or at least we thought it was, that Reed Larson had the hardest slap shot in the world. And me and my buddy Chad Reed liked this name because it was a Reed, so that's why Reed Larson made the list because <laughs> my last name is Reed.
0: Now I'm, I'm going to assume that these are your cards that are picked. Yeah, right
1: these are all uh, out of an old Dau hockey skate box from okay. when I was a kid. Because right. some of them are marked up.
0: Yeah, this one, this Reed Larson is is destroyed
1: because <laughs> yeah, I loved Reed <laughs> Larson. I probably had it out a lot as a kid. Very
0: nice. All right, next up, um, this is. The most iconic card in modern hockey, I think, is mm-hmm. the Edmonton Oilers, Wayne Gretzky, 79, 80, OPC. Yeah, um, it has to be
1: on everybody's list. It does. right? It's it like does. saying you don't like water. You need it. <laughs> you have to have water in order to survive. Um, mm-hmm. This And the story of my Gretzky rookie was something special to me. It's about my mother, and it's about my brother and sharing it and just a common bond over hockey. And I know for a lot of us who aren't in the, the profit-driven side of collecting, that's kind of what this is all about. So that, sure. that, that Gretzky story is pretty special to me, and he was – I mean, he still is my idol. I got to go to. I've I've, I've interviewed him on the phone, and it's weird. Yeah, you know, and it's but it's it's amazing. He's and Wayne Gretzky to me epitomizes hockey because hockey players are known as really nice guys, and Wayne Gretzky's the greatest hockey player of all time, and he's the nicest guy of all time. It's just it's sure. it's amazing what what he learned from Gordie Howe and Jean Beliveau and Bobby Orr, and he passed it down. And now you see a guy like Sidney Crosby going around. Just total class. In hockey it just it just keeps flowing, all these classic guys. It's awesome. I love it.
0: Um that story of you and your brother fighting over the card is yes. is it's classic. I won't I won't tell it here. It's been told on the podcast before, but it's a great story. So uh next up, Hartford Whalers, Blaine Stoughton.
1: Blaine Stouten Stoughton Sniper. Is he in Cooperall there? Long Cooper all the long pants. Yep, sure. Yep. Is. So every kid in Canada needed Cooperall circa nineteen eighty three or eighty four. Blaine Stoughton was one of these guys on the Whalers. They had a couple players. They had Mike Rogers and Blaine Stoughton, and they almost seemed to score at will. So the Whalers didn't have much, but they always had Stoughton and Rogers. And everybody, all my buddies, loved their Long all. Greatest Christmas present I ever got. <laughs> pair of Long all 1984. I'm sitting at Christmas. We rip everything open, and I don't have my Long Cooperall. I'm pouting. My dad says, what's that at the back of the tree? And I dove under the tree, and I wore my Long all all day. Very so, nice. Again. That card, because of the Long Cooper all, means something to me.
0: Now, um, before we move on to the next card, because the next card is great, and I don't, I think it's very underrated in, in the collecting world, mm-hmm. but um, can you share a Whaler story with me? Because like, that, that's a franchise that a lot of people still love. Okay. And
1: yeah, um, this is a Whaler story that maybe no one other than myself even finds remotely fascinating. When I was a kid, uh, my aunt had a brother, and it was... Aunt through marriage to my mom named Wayne Woodacre. Wayne was one of the top scorers in the Northumberland Junior B Hockey League in Nova Scotia in the late 70s, early 80s. So Wayne gets a job working at the shipyards in Pictou, Nova Scotia, and he plays in the local town hockey league because mm-hmm. there's really nowhere else to play. Sure. And he lights her up. He's scoring 300 goals a year, you know, 350 goals a year. And wow. my dad knows a guy who used to referee in the WHA named Wayne Mundy who is best friends with Larry Plough, who at that time was the general manager of the Hartford Whalers. Very nice. It is arranged through my mom, my dad and our neighbor Donnie Clark that Wayne Woodacre gets a tryout with the Hartford Whalers. So he comes out of the Pictou Town Hockey League. Now this is a every town in Canada has a league where your local heroes go to play. So he goes from the Pictou Town Hockey League to a trial for the Hartford Whalers. Does really well. They offer him a spot in the American League and Wayne says, "Nah, if I'm not going to start in the NHL. I'll just go back to Pictou." Goes back to Picto, works in the shipyard. He was my coach in Bantam. He was both the best ball player, best golfer in town. He passed away a few years ago. He was a special guy to everybody from Picto. Anyone from Picto's uh, listening, they'll know who he is. And uh, he wore number eight in Picto for the Maripax, and his jersey's still in the arena. So he had a tryout wow. from a rural men's non contact Contact Hockey League right to the Hartford Whalers and almost made the team.
0: That's crazy.
1: That's my Hartford Whalers. That's story. an
0: insane you story. You didn't think I was going
1: to go there, did you? That's
0: a great, that's a great story, man. And
1: uh, I have a copy of the letter the Whalers sent him for the tryout. Really? Yeah, I got a copy of it. Yeah. Very nice. Because I'm a collector, right? That's right. What we do.
0: So this next card uh, again is underrated in the hobby, um, but I remember when this came out, it, it was all the craze. Uh, Los Angeles Kings, Wayne Gretzky, 8889, OPC Mini. Yeah. Uh, it's important because the Topps version, he's still in an Edmonton jersey. Yes. So this was his first Kings jersey card. And, and, and that, sweater. that
1: jersey was iconic, right? Oh, yeah. When he went to the Kings, first off, we were all devastated in Canada. Second, we thought we can't look at him in those gold and purple uniforms or yellow and purple as we call them. Right. But, man, when they put on that new Kings logo... Uh, reminiscent of the L.A. Raiders at the time. Mm-hmm. We were pumped, and that thing sold. L.A. Kings stuff sold like bananas where I was from, and that opened up a whole new era, and that's that's why we sit around now. We talk about the Anaheim Ducks, the San Jose Sharks, the Florida Panthers, <laughs> right. you know, Tampa Bay Lightning. It's all because Wayne got traded to California. I was watching The Price is Right when the news was broken.
0: <laughs> and, really?
1: And Eli Zaret from... The CBS affiliate in Detroit, because we got our CBS affiliates from Detroit, came in and broke the news, and I was just I was just dumbfounded. What did you think about
0: the 30 for 30, King's Ransom?
1: I thought it was great. Yeah. I thought it was really well done. Was it Berg, Peter Berg, the yeah, director? Yeah, right. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, and, uh, yeah I thought it was a, a fantastic story. It was really good storytelling.
0: Now, uh, the next card on the list is something that um, you know, you, you don't see on cards much anymore, um, the he, this is a player who's been traded. Again, yeah, now with. Now with. Guy, yeah. So uh, Minnesota North Stars, Bobby Smith, uh, now God. with Montreal.
1: Yeah, Bobby Smith, owner of the Halifax Mooseheads, who are now in the Quebec League final. Go, Moose. Uh, that was a big deal to me because I knew who Bobby Smith was. He was traded to my Montreal Canadiens for Mark Napier and Keith Acton, which I was horrified by. And I always thought in the card that Bobby's got his hand yeah, on his he heart. Sure does, He's yeah. listening to the anthem. Uh-huh. Uh, it was something I believed until I wrote my book, Hockey Card Stories, <laughs> and I called him. He said, no, I had a pair of shoulder pads that year. They bugged the living hell out of me. Whenever the play would stop, I'd tug him. He goes, why do you think the woman in the back of the card sitting down? I thought, uh... Bobby, <laughs> perceptive. But Bobby Smith, I said that uh, Craig Ramsey was violently underrated. Bobby yeah. Smith, also violently underrated, beautiful hockey player. Got a chance to share the ice with him a few years ago at Hockey Day in Canada uh-huh. in Halifax. Man, just when you play hockey against guys and they don't put their head down, it's wow. weird. Like, yeah. they can talk to you. Hey, how's it going, Eric? And they stick <laughs> handling around. Whereas I'm like, chop, chop, chop. Yeah, so Bobby's a great player.
0: Awesome. Next card, uh, Montreal Canadiens. I'm going to probably get the wrong, name wrong. Steve Penny? is it? Steve Penny, oh, yeah. All right. Uh, Pen- 85, 86, Opeechee.
1: Absolutely. Penny's from heaven. He came around nowhere in the 84 playoffs and led the Habs on a bit of a run. And uh, they used to throw pennies at him at the Boston Garden. So there you pennies. go. And he was kind of out of the league as quickly as he arrived. He ended up being traded the Winnipeg Jets and the, I think he owns a restaurant in uh, Quebec last I heard okay so he tours around with the alumni sometimes I saw one of his uh, game used jerseys for sale in here in fact really yeah that's off the yeah. wall crazy number yeah Steve Penny I think he was 37 maybe number 37 I'm trying to recall well, yeah yep, 37 Steve Penny go. he is 37 yep oh wow
0: all right. Next up, uh, New York Islanders Butch Goring, 80, Butch, 80, 80, he- eighty-one, ninety-four, eighty, eighty-one. The helmet alone. Oh yes. I
1: mean, look at that helmet. I think it was called the Snap's helmet. Okay. Uh, old school, uh, older than the one I bought today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Butch just had an awesome name, right? Butch, Butch Goring. He works on the Islanders telecast now, and uh, he was a major. They say he was the what put the Islanders over the top. We all trade out about the freak out about the trade deadline in the National Hockey League every year. Butch was kind of the first trade deadline acquisition that put a team over the top. So he joined uh, the Islanders at the tail end of the 80 season. I believe he was traded for Billy Harris. And uh, they went on a run and won four cups in a row. And wow. Butch was on all four teams. Here's yeah. something that'll blow your mind. Uh, the turnover teams have now. So when the Islanders won four cups in a row, 16 of the guys won all four cups. That's how little turnover they had.
0: Wow. Billy Smith was on that team, right?
1: Billy Smith was a goalie, yeah. He
0: scared the hell out of me one time up here. Yeah.
1: (laughs) He's scary,
0: eh? Yes. It was when the stage was over on the side. Yes. And he walked up, took the microphone from me, he said, I'm going to ask the questions. I said, all right, Billy, you you do what you want to do. But you know what? (laughs)
1: Billy does these Heart and Stroke Hockey Heroes tournaments with us. He's awesome. He's a peach. He's, I, he's I, a wicked guy, and I told him the same thing. I said, "Billy used to terrify me." He laughed, and he's going to be in the one goal only book because he scored the he scored the first ever goal by an NHL goalie. Awesome, Billy Smith. yeah.
0: Awesome. <laughs> All right, next up, uh, Steve Weeks.
1: Steve Weeks for the
0: Rangers, 82-83 Op. Oh,
1: right. I was I had a okay. So if you look at that card closely, mm-hmm. Steve Weeks is wearing jogging pants under behind his pads. Oh my God! So when my buddy Mark Harone, and I were kids. It appears to be jogging pants anyway. I never got the true answer from him. I tried contacting for my hockey card books. No luck. We uh, would wear jogging pants, great jogging pants, under our pads so we could look like Steve Weeks. That's why that card stands out to me.
0: So the one thing I'm noticing here is uh, the position. In mm-hmm. the English it says goalie, and then in French it says, is it guardian?
1: Guardian de but.
0: Guardian de Yeah, That's awesome. I uh, always love that about El Pichy, the, the, yeah, the language. Bilingual, yeah, bilingual, yeah, it's great. All right, next up, Tim Kerr. Uh-huh. 85-86 mm
1: mm-hmm. Tim mm-hmm. Kerr stands out to me. When I was a kid, I was lucky enough to go to a hockey school where Gordy Howe was an instructor. Okay. And Gordy Howe said, when you're in the slot, you got to play like Tim Kerr. So he taught us how to take a pass to our back foot, which was what Tim Kerr did. So that's why Tim Kerr's cards always stood out to me.
0: Next card needs no explanation, I don't think, at all. Pittsburgh Penguin Mario Lemieux, 85, 86, Opechie.
1: It's almost like the number two card of the 80s, isn't it? You I think to, so. You have to have the Gretzky, and then you have to have the Lemieux.
0: See, now, I would qualify the Gretzky in the 70s just because... Yeah, yeah, that's right, so, 79, 80, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But I think this is possibly the number one behind the uh, behind Patrick Wall's rookie.
1: Yeah, yeah. So. I, I, if, it, if, if you asked me who I'd rather have for a rookie, Mario or Patrick, I'd go Mario. Uh, he was, man, he was just a big... He was a big, elegant hockey player. Like, he was so smooth, man. So smooth.
0: With, with Patrick, I, I, I'm i only speaking from what I know about him. Yeah. Because I, I lived in Denver for a while. Yeah, and he's, okay. And, and, excuse the expression. He's a god there because but, of... They, I'd imagine, yeah, yeah. so they won the cup, you know. Was he that big in Montreal? Was he oh, that yeah. big? Oh, yeah, he was huge. Yeah? He was
1: huge. When, well, the Montreal Canadiens have never been the same since they traded him. Right. Uh, they haven't won a cup since 93. No Canadian teams won a cup since 93 and. The way he left town was bad. It was bad. And, I mean, you talk about Butch Goring putting the Islanders over the top. Uh, Ruaw put the Avs slash Nordiques right over the top, right? Mm-hmm, right? Won them that cup. He was, uh, he was, yeah, he's it's, it's an incredible competitor. When I think Patrick Waugh, I just think play till the very last second, your very last breath. That's Patrick Waugh for me.
0: Awesome. All right, Quebec's Nordiques. I'm going to get this name really wrong. Hmm. Aileen Cote?
1: Aileen Cote. Aileen Cote stood out to me on that card. And I because i thought he was about a thousand years old because he had gray gray hair hair yeah (laughs) turns out he was only 28 so when you're a kid he's 28 in that card (laughs) looks like he's 192 because of the gray hair la is a very nice man lives down in new brunswick now um yeah but that's a card that always stood out to me because i thought man this guy's so old but he was 28.
0: so excuse the expression here but he looks like kurt russell did and tombstone, yeah. as as wider, <laughs> yeah, yeah. wider. Wyatt Wyatt yeah. He does.
1: He's got the kind of the wavy yeah. hair and
0: stuff. Yeah, he sure does. All right, next up, uh, Brian Sutter with the Blues.
1: Brian uh, Sutter, yeah. I mean, just a just a hard working guy. The Sutters were almost a, a kind of a mythical family to everyone in Canada growing up. At least to me and my buddies, to think that to think six mi- guys from one town could make the NHL is crazy. To think six brothers could make it is absolutely insane. Right. So, yeah, the Sutters, big time.
0: 82, 83, Opechie, Jim Corn, the man yeah. who's. This <laughs> one is great because you've drawn a mustache on yeah, him.
1: Yeah, I think that's that card is in there because when I look for my box and back to my childhood cards, I mean, if you're going to deface a guy and draw all over him, the card obviously meant something to you. I think did I try to draw like a Rolly Fingers mustache yep, on yeah, him? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: maybe Eddie Shack to put it in the hockey terms, but uh, yeah, that's self-explanatory. I drew on the card for some reason. I drew on poor old Jim Corn. Not sure why. <laughs>
0: Uh, I've never heard of this next gentleman, but I'm sure you're going to lay it out beautifully for me. Harold Sneps. Oh, my this?
1: goodness. Harold Sneps. Uh, don't know why. Me and my friends grew up on the east side of Canada. Harold played on the west side of Canada for the Vancouver Canucks. We loved Harold Snaps. Probably had to do with his mustache. Probably mm-hmm. had to do with that he didn't wear a helmet. Probably had to do with that he had an awesome name. So I collected as many Harold Snaps cards there as I go. could, and is that the eighty eighty one with the big V kind yeah, of sweater? Or, yes, sir. Horrible logo, eh? Horrible, horrible. I yeah,
0: s- I saw a gentleman that I see here every time. He's got a Kurt McLean on, uh yeah. jersey on. It's not much better because it's the Canucks and the, it looks like the it, weird ski. Yeah,
1: yeah. The Canucks had some dark times when they were trying to establish logos, but that V was just weird. Yeah, it was. Really it weird. was. It was weird. I,
0: yeah. When I'm playing NHL on PlayStation or whatever yeah, yeah. I actually I'd never use that jersey <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think anyone would I remember as a, as a kid just trying to understand what it just kind of going what is that yeah not really understanding because it's not a single V it's it's like three orange Vs orange yeah. gold yeah, yeah it was not a good uniform not it, a good look it
0: reminds me of Houston Astros jerseys yeah during the time because of the color scheme yes
1: but they were the horizontal yeah. orange and yeah i've got one of those yeah
0: all right next up washington Capitals dale hunter eighty-seven eighty-eight 88
1: opg dale hunter man he looked weird was that the airbrush one with yep. his helmet yeah he's a guy that tweets at me all the time his twitter handle is at dale hunter's helmet <laughs> and that's the buck he's talking about he had the beauty jofa and that was another guy along the lines of john tonelli it wasn't right when he was no longer in the quebec nordiques and if Correct me if I'm wrong. Dale Hunter has the most penalty minutes of anyone in the National Hockey League who has over a thousand career points, and I think Dale Hunter should be in the Hall of Fame. He was, man, he was, he was tough, and he'd do whatever it took. Yeah, if you're going down YouTube, if you're listening right now, YouTube Dale Hunter Pierre Turgeon hit. It's, okay, it's something.
0: Guys, check that out. Uh, next up, Winnipeg Jets Paul McLean.
1: Paul McLean, big deal. He grew up 45 minutes from me in Agincourt, Nova Scotia. And it was one of those things where you just couldn't believe that an NHLer grew up 45 minutes away. So, Paul's a great guy. Um, we used to always bug him for autographs in the summer. He was totally cool with it and, and a sweet, sweet mustache.
0: I was going to say, this dude looks like he can, he looks like murder. Now, is that the <laughs> 82 83? Yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: that's actually Larry Hopkins on that card because he was on the Paul McClain rookie card. And get this Paul McClain's mom wrote a letter to Opeachy going, What happened? My son is not on the card, so OPC sent her about a sh- bunch of swag back in the day.
0: Very nice. That concludes the list, man. That's a great list. It's awesome. Uh, does that going down memory lane
1: for you like that? that? Is, is that a lot of fun? It was going down memory lane just to remember that I wrote the article once upon a time.
0: <laughs> Again, I've, like, I've been saving it for That's a while. It's double
1: memory lane. That's awesome. All I right, love it. So,
0: so let's talk about, and I'm, I know I've had you here for a minute. But, no problem. Uh, let's talk about the NHL playoffs right now. Yeah. I want to know who you from who you are and what you do, you've got to have an opinion on who's going to win
1: the cup. Sure. I have an opinion on who's going to win the cup, and my opinion is I have no idea. Um, when people asked me at the start of the first round who's going to win, I said I have no idea, but I didn't think it was no idea to that level. Sure. Parody is something else, but this was just absolutely wild what happened in the first round this year. Um, if you ask me who I want to win the cup, I'd love to see Colorado win it for uh, Nathan McKinnon, or yeah. I'd love to see Dallas win it, one of their assistant coaches, Rick Boness.
0: Is it because I'm sitting here? Yeah,
1: yeah. But Rick Bonass, good Dallas guy, a good Nova Scotia boy, he's been in the game since the 1970s, the professional level, has never won a cup. I'd love to see Rick Bonas win a Stanley Cup or Nate McKinnon win a Stanley Cup. But who do I think is going to win? I have no idea. And I think anybody that gives you an opinion where they think they know, know who's going to win is just blowing smoke. Because it's, it's crazy. It's at, like you get better odds going and just playing craps in vegas its right, wild man. right it's wild
0: so one thing is the stood frame out
1: worth th- wheels in the background you got better odds of picking <laughs> the winner
0: on that what stood out to me uh during the playoffs this is the goaltending yeah uh, across the board the goaltending has been crazy yeah uh, uh the guy in hurricanes pete uh pete mrazik yeah he's yeah. and then they problems. throw mcalaney in
1: there and he's yeah. fantastic
0: exactly. absolutely
1: uh, what do you think of the uh the refereeing in the postseason because they let a lot more go. It's it seems yeah. like the hockey I grew up with. The yeah, postseason. it's
0: it's a it's a lot looser. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot looser. <laughs> it's a lot looser. Yeah. it's not like that NBA
1: <laughs> where no. Not, they no just where they pick and choose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah.
0: It, it's a lot looser. I'm I'm uh, I'm excited to see where the Stanley Cup Finals are going to end up. I hope it's back home in Dallas. Oh uh, wow, yeah, I'd love to see that. Uh, ben Bishop is playing out of his mind. He's great. Uh, I love to see Jamie Ben get one finally. Yeah, and uh, that's well, just me.
1: Well been 20 years since you won yeah maybe you'll get another and his
0: foot was in the crease by the way yeah
1: <laughs> yeah shout out john sim uh picto county nova scotia 99 dallas stars that's number a uh, 49 mm. cup winner
0: there you go all right man i'm gonna let you get out of here thank you so much
1: eric thank you it's always a pleasure buddy it, glad yes, you stopped me
0: I, i'm i'm happy i did too okay pucks deep and pucks deep guys hang tight we'll be right back
1: hey hey it's conrad thompson and you're listening
3: to the fat pack
0: All right, guys, thanks for hanging out after that quick break. We just had Ken Reed on. Uh, he opens this show, it feels like, every year. And I, and I love talking to Ken. He's, he's got a great hockey mind. But we're going to switch over to baseball now, uh, a franchise that is no longer with us but absolutely <laughs> loved by so many. Uh, the winningest Montreal Expo of all time, Mr. Steve Rogers. How
2: are you, sir? I'm doing well, Eric, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun to be here.
0: And Man, I'm, I'm so thrilled to meet you finally. Uh, I've talked to Ray, <laughs> your agent. I've talked to Ray about you for at least five years, so uh, <laughs> finally being able to shake your hand and meet you—it's been—it's it's really awesome. So thank you so much for taking time and sitting down to do well, this. Well, it's
2: my pleasure, and I—I I look forward to the questions. So <laughs> I'll make them hard. All right, I'll make them hard. <laughs>
0: uh, so first of all, this is a collectible show. There are a lot of a lot of stuff out here on the floor that one could pick up and add to their collection. Did you collect anything uh, while you were playing or, or before?
2: You know, it's really—it's a sad thing, but I realized I was missing an opportunity while I was playing because I would see. Uh, Gary Carter, God oh, yeah, rest his yeah. soul, and he was a huge collector, and I saw some of the guys be very active, and yet I just never did it. And and yeah, I, n- I never, ever thought badly about giving an autograph, yet I never would go ask somebody for an autograph, okay. and so it's weird. Uh, so I really do enjoy getting back out now that... Uh, uh, th- that phase of my life is over with, and I just enjoy these uh, the collectible shows sure. th- such as this. And this is a big one.
0: This is the biggest in Canada, so yeah. it's it's absolutely uh, a must see if you ever have the chance to do it. Now, did you
2: did you keep anything from your career, from your any jerseys, any bats, or anything like that? The only thing that I'm really missing that I really wish I had—remember those powder blue uniforms? We had the road uniform. I thought I had a complete uniform. Mm. I'm missing the pants. So (laughs) if you know. (laughs) But uh, uh, other than that, you know those kinds of things. I will tell you that one of the weirdest pieces uh, items showed up. Gosh, within the last year, somebody had a pair of my moth-eaten long johns that i used to wear when it was really cold they were too thick to wear when you played but when you sit on the bench you can pretty much dress dress for the cold right and he asked me to sign them so i still don't know i that's the weirdest thing that's come along but that is uh,
0: absolutely (laughs) real weird absolutely weird now uh, i said it at the top of the interview you are the winningest pitcher in montreal expo's history you spent your entire career there is that something special to you that, that you were able, because you just don't see it in sports anymore, a player staying in one city for, for as long as you did, and especially retiring from the same, uh, from the same team? Is that something special to you?
2: Well, it is very special, and I also have to acknowledge that uh, it was really by the luck of the draw. Okay. And I say that, I have, I've ha- since had it uh, I, uh, verified by the general manager of the Texas Rangers uh, at the time. The Texas Rangers traded for me. Really? And it was for Al Oliver. Hmm,
0: okay. And
2: uh, the year before, we actually got him. And uh, uh, I, w- I found out that they went, to, they went to Al to tell him that he had been traded. he said, uh-uh. <laughs> when, when I signed my contract, I shook Mr. Corbett. Brad Corbett was the general partner down there. I shook his hand, and he told me I would never have to go anywhere in a trade that I didn't want to go. And right now, I don't want to go north of the border. wow! And they said, well, it's not in your contract. And he said, well, you call Mr. Corbett, <laughs> call Brad Corbett. And he said, no, I shook the man's hand. Otherwise I'd have been in Texas from wow. 1981 <laughs> on. So <laughs> <laughs> That's a crazy story.
0: You just don't hear handshake deals done like that. No. And-,
2: and, but, uh, it, it's one that worked in my favor because I loved the city of Montreal and, uh, uh and I was able to actually put the best statistical years I had mm-hmm. uh, after that trade would have taken place. So I'm, I'm I'm glad I was able to do that in Montreal.
0: Tell me about Olympic Stadium. Was that place a dump or was it was it beautiful?
2: <laughs> First of all, I have to tell you about Jerry Park. Okay. <laughs> now Jerry Park was a Major League Baseball park in name only. Okay. It, it was not a Major League Baseball. Park. Sure. So once we got into Olympic Stadium. It was actually a major league park. Now was it big? Was it cavernous? Was there a whole lot of uh, concrete hanging around with some of the chunks of concrete still falling and yeah. stuff yeah all of that's true, but it was it was a pitcher friendly park, so I guess yeah. I had to like that. A lot of foul territory and, and the ball didn't carry real well there. but uh, it was a big improvement. And okay. uh, so I'll be honest with you. Now, I know it wasn't a fan favorite because if you had one of those primo seats in Jerry Park, it was about as, well, it was as intimate as a, uh, a spring training park. Oh, really? Okay. And so, so I understand the fond memories that, that uh, the fans of Montreal have about Jerry Park, but it was not a nice place to play.
0: Okay. I, that's understandable. Now, you, you played with some great guys. You mentioned Gary Carter. Who are some of your favorite players that you played with?
2: Well, Gary and I grew up together. He was a little younger than I was, but uh, he became the starting catcher, I think, at age 20 or 21. Really? And uh, I was four years older at the time and a seasoned veteran of, you know, two and a half years in the big leagues, but I we grew together in the sure, game, right. and he was my catcher for eight years, which means it was a very, very uh, tight bond, and I count him, uh, God rest his soul, as, as one of my good friends. Certainly, Andre Dawson, uh, oh, yeah. Tim Raines. I, I mean, I'm naming all. You know, I'm naming all stars. But then you look at Steve Renko, who was uh, a mentor of mine when sure. I first broke uh, broke into the game. Um, Ross Grimsley, mm. who came along and um, had been with some real winners. He'd been with uh, uh, Cincinnati and Baltimore. And uh, he brought a whole new understanding of having fun but knowing how to win. Sure. Uh, he's the only 20-game winner uh, mm. in the history of the Expo. So, I mean, yeah, I've got some really close friends uh, mm. like that. And I've been very fortunate to have uh, uh, a job over all these years that I've been able to stay in touch with them uh, without a lot of effort because, right. uh, because working with the Players Association.
0: Right, right. Now, uh, you, you said he was the only 20-game winner. You never won twenty games. You got close a few times, but you, I have a stat here. You have one hundred and twenty nine complete games and thirty seven <laughs> shutouts. It's very, very impressive. <laughs> I mean, you don't. I mean, pitchers don't last four innings now. You know, five sometimes if you're lucky. The pitching was completely different back then. With right. thirty seven shutouts and one hundred and twenty nine complete games, what was the mindset when you when you went to a game started? What like you were going to finish it right?
2: Well. Yes, and and Eric, the honest truth is that's what was required of a number one. Mm-hmm. If you were the number one in the rotation, you were expected not only to pitch a winning-type game, but you had to go deep in that game. And, you know, it was kind of expected that the closer was the only, was the only guy that was going to pitch beside you. Right. And so that, you had to get to the ninth inning. And I can remember that Gene Mock instilled that in me my very first spring training. He said, He said, Son, you're going to have to learn how to relieve yourself, and no, that doesn't mean go to the bathroom, <laughs> but it, it, it you, know, you need to learn how to get from your power pitches, which you should be strong and have those through the first six innings, mm-hmm. but then as things start to die down on your velocity and the crispness, you have to learn how to become a different pitcher and get to the ninth inning. Sure. Get through the eighth to the ninth, and... It was just something that was instilled in me that it was a part of what my job description was. I took pride in it. Yeah, absolutely you
0: did. Um, so my next question to you is, through those games, who was the toughest batter you ever faced? Oh, jeez.
2: <laughs> toughest batter. Well, I, I'm going to name drop because it's, it's legitimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pete Rose could get two hits off of me in his sleep. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I had to do with Pete was try to manage those hits, not... not have them hurt me okay and uh, you know and again do my best to keep them from hurting me because he uh, then you talk about that same mold of a left-handed hitter that's willing to take the ball the other way mm-hmm. uh, and isn't always pull sure you're looking at Greg Gross you're looking at Ho- uh, Jose Cruz Sr. You're right uh, I work with Jose Cruz Jr. <laughs> and believe me his dad threw his son gives me all kinds of trouble all the time. about how, <laughs> I, I said, well, listen, you wore out the limo making sure that I got from the airport to the ballpark every day. You wanted to make sure you got your at-bats off of me. But guys, good left-handed hitters that would drive the ball the other way made my sinker. Uh, the, the margin for error on the mm-hmm. sinker became very small.
0: Okay. Now, I want to ask about a, a name specifically, Mr. Mike Schmidt. He's got to be up on that list, right? Well,
2: I will tell you what I I hold it as one of those great battles, and it happened over a decade plus. Right. Schmitty and I um, won. We we won a battle each. I he got I think he was like a 217 two two twenty hitter off of me. Okay. But he had seven home runs. Oh wow. Okay, I will guarantee you. The six of the seven beat me. So, you know, he yeah, won that yeah. battle, and and I won right. a, a battle of another sort. Right. Uh, so it's that kind of challenge to be able to pitch against a great hitter, great ball player. Uh, you look at Willie Starger. You look at the guys that were in that uh, uh, National League East. And, I mean, it It was, uh, uh, looking back on it, it was a real honor to have been able to, to face guys of that quality. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, we're even nice to each other now. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, you, you say guys of that quality. You were a five-time All-Star. What's it like pitching in an All-Star game?
2: Well, I I will have to tell you, it's, it's again, i got to use that word again, mm-hmm. an honor. 100% right. 100% an honor. Uh, it's also an exhibition game. Right. And I knew that the max I was going to be out there was two or three innings. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, now it's one inning each, and I I get It's a little different format now, but, uh, you know, I was, the the three out of the five that I actually participated in, I pitched two innings, two innings, and three innings. Okay. So, it's, it was, um, it was an exhibition game, so you didn't feel the pressure, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, and, but... That was also during the streak where the uh, National League, I think, won 11, 12 in a row, whatever it was in a row. I was also on that team in that was in Comiskey in 83 that broke that string mm-hmm. uh, when Freddie Lynn hit the uh, Grand Slam home run off of, uh, oh gosh, left-hander from uh, San Francisco. Anyway, <laughs> Hammocker, Atlee okay, Hammocker. Okay, so um,
0: let, let's move back to Montreal. I, I want to ask about this, and I'll, I'll be gentle about it, but tell me about Blue Monday. Tell me what that was.
2: Well, you know, and again, it set itself up in part because I had four of the best games I had in a row in my career prior to that relief appearance. And so I I take great pride in the fact that I know what I had done for the two weeks prior to that got us to the point. Right. Ray Burst threw one super game. Mm -hmm. It's tied one-to-one, you know, it's tied one-to-one, two-to-one, one-to-one. Two one, to two yeah, or yeah, one to one. We'll look it up. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Please do. But it was a tie game, and uh, they pinch it for uh, Ray. Jeff Reardon's back had been bothering him, and uh, plus it was a tie game. So, do you bring in your closer, especially if he's got a, a, a tweaked back? Right. And we had had a rain out the day before, so now I was on the I was on the third day, so I was I was fully rested. There was no problem. Right. And um, you know, I, I went in, and my adrenaline was pumping at a level that it never would as a starter. As a starter, you know, you start the game, you, you actually have, you work yourself into a groove, and that's what you're trying to do in the bullpen. So you don't come out breathing fire right. when you when you start a game. Um, when it's tied going into the top of the ninth inning, <laughs> you're breathing fire, and I didn't handle it well. Uh, my mechanics were off. Um The sinker wasn't sinking, and the end result is I left uh, left a couple of sinkers up. Ron Say, I think, made an out to the base of the left field wall for the first out Mm. uh, on a hanging sinker, a choked-off sinker, and then that's exactly what Rick Monday hit on a 3-1 pitch. And uh, uh, I I certainly wish it hadn't happened, but I know all the elements that went into it. uh, I didn't just say, oh, my gosh, i got to throw a ball down the middle or I'll walk him. Mm-hmm. I I, I was willing to walk him, but the pitch wasn't. <laughs> the pitch wasn't <laughs> yeah. willing. So
0: yeah, and I'm watching the replay here. It's that's, right that's, there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow. Well, I got two more questions for you. Okay, tell me when you knew that you made it.
2: Wow. When did I make it? Uh, I, I think it was the bot- It was the bottom of the first inning in Houston and uh, I had, I think I'd given up a, a, a ground ball base hit and I'd walked some way and then I, uh, I'm trying to remember it was an infield hit mm-hmm. so now we got the bases loaded, no outs in my first game and uh, gra- I threw a ground ball to the shortstop, turned the double play got out of it with another ground ball, the, uh, the next batter gave up one run and And I had been – Calvin Coolidge, Julius Caesar, Tuscahoma McClish, my pitching coach, Cal McClish, (laughs) uh, told me, you know, it takes three ground balls to score a run. So keep getting the ground balls, keep getting the ground balls, and we're going to turn a double play for you if you give up a hit or two. And it it started there with the reinforcement Mm -hmm. that – what i was bringing to the big leagues was good enough to you know with hard work get get major league hitters out on hopefully a regular basis that was pretty early yes sir but it, it was that it was kind of that crisis right there and and it worked out okay i think i came out after eight tied 2 to 2 so okay. it, it it does that mean that i made it no but it meant that the stuff that i had in triple a that had gotten me to the big leagues was indeed going to allow me to to grow and 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 get some hitters out
0: absolutely now the final question and i was told to ask you that question to set up this question tell me when you knew it was over
2: well (laughs) uh, i knew my velocity was down and uh, my shoulder was not working real well uh and that was before they had the surgical procedures they knew what to do to tighten the rotator cuff up this Mm -hmm. capsule but they just didn't have a technique to do it okay That being said, uh, I was down in AAA, and I I was feeling pretty good. I was uh, pitching in for the White Sox AAA, and we were in uh, War Memorial Stadium in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And there was a left-handed hitter that we used to, in the big leagues, we knew that if we pounded hard fastballs in, he had a pretty big swing, and so we could get in and jam him. And then as soon as he started trying to open it up, then we could throw the sinker or the breaking ball and he, so he had he was up and down he was one of those guys that was up and down because he did have a little bit of a weakness on the inside part I threw a fastball right there right right where we'd been able to get him you know in the natural when when he hits the ball off the off the uh, bank of lights on the top that yeah. was all filmed in War Memorial Stadium okay okay this ball that the guy hit when I put it right exactly where it needed to be, hit at the base of that light tower on top of, <laughs> that's when I knew things weren't going well for me.
0: <laughs> so the guy went Robert Redford on you. Went it, it, Robert Redford. Oh on my me.
2: goodness! So that's, that's that's a dead
0: giveaway. <laughs> that, that's a dead giveaway. That's awesome. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate it. I look forward to speaking to you a little later on. Uh, and guys, hang tight. We'll be right back.
1: This
0: is Joe Toy Super Collective and you're listening to the Fat Packs. Alright guys, we're rolling right along here at the Toronto Sports Card and Memorabilia Expo. We're going to close the show today with Mr. Brian Gray from Leaf. What's up, Brian? How you doing, man? Man, I'm so happy to have you on. It's been a while since you've been on. It has been a while. I'm happy you're here, though.
3: Thank you. Last time I was on, Big Ben was a Little Watch.
0: <laughs> so go figure that out. You know? So, a first, first off, uh, I want to talk about Leaf Pearl Hockey. That was an amazing product. Tell me what went into that.
3: I mean the thing was we talked for a long time about it. we watched products like Cup and all these things in the market and no one had really tested like these nosebleed kind of levels. Like in baseball now, the idea of a thousand, two thousand dollar box isn't like crazy shocking. Right. In your basketball, obviously we have flawlesses that blow that away, you know. Mm-hmm. But in hockey people were scared. No one wants to test these price points because they, they make excuses. Well the Canadian consumer so risk averse and People are just you know different kind of collector, and I was like, I don't think so. I think they want to, mm-hmm. they want to have ultra high end, with ultra high end hits. That's not solely based on rookies like every other hockey product. Right. And we thought this was an opportunity to do that, and I think we, I think we executed really well. Last year's pro multisport was phenomenal, mm-hmm. and I was nervous coming into hockey because again, no one had ever tried a over a thousand dollar box in hockey. And I think it crushed. I mean, it did great.
0: It, it absolutely crushed. Uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to the clubhouse on Michael, Michael Hodges. I think they had the majority of that product to break. Well, they, they
3: didn't. I mean, they didn't, I don't think they had the majority, but they had more than anyone I saw, anyone yeah. person, and they were out everywhere buying it. I yeah. mean, I heard they were calling up here in Canada trying to buy it from the Canadians. Yeah. But they have such a great customer. I mean, I love those guys. Sure. Because they really have taken a sport that the breakers have not embraced like they should. Mm-hmm. And they've really made that like a staple part of their breaking business. right? And I think that's important. Why, why do you want to break what every other guy's breaking? Break sure. something not everyone's breaking, and you'll get a whole new set of customers. And sure enough, I think he's got tons of Canadian guys that are buying into his breaks down in the States, which go figure. you yeah. know? Right. They do a great job. I, and I was excited to see them break a lot of it, and they had some monsters come out of there. They did yeah. a great job.
0: They, they sure did. Now, I want to talk about that cut chet- checklist because... When I was importing that into our system at Beckett, it was I was just like, "How in the hell did you he get these guys?" I want to start with King Henry the Eighth. Where did you get that at?
3: I mean, we we had all <laughs> kinds of. Uh, we, I mean, again, all these cuts we buy at auctions all over the place, and and to me, the key thing is we've got to have the top guys got to be nosebleeds. We got to have
1: mm-hmm.
3: at a minimum, you know, Babe Ruth, Abraham Lincoln. We got to have some of these big cuts. Like in poor multi sport, we had Tupac. Right. Which sold for like 6000 bucks on eBay. Right. So, I mean, we're looking for cuts that are just unique, high-end, whatever. And and honestly, just all the guys that fit there, there were some great high-end. Mm-hmm. But as much as that, I like some of the low-end. There's guys in there that are tricky that you don't think they're going to be worth much. And then when they come out, like, I don't think people realize Scarlett Johansson's worth $1,000. I don't right. think people knew that. Right. And she's worth $1,000, you know? It's crazy. I mean, but we thought we found some value there, I think, for well, sure.
0: Lady Gaga and Eminem both were yeah, on the checklist. Eminem's great. Yeah, it's just great. Amazing, amazing And stuff. that's the
3: thing. The checklist is very diverse. Mm-hmm. We have some hockey guys that are rare. The one thing hockey doesn't have, like baseball, is you don't have the two dozen ultra-tough Hall of Famers you have in baseball. Sure. The hockey guys really, the guys that's impossible is Vezina, and you can't buy them at all. There's no real ones, really. Mm-hmm. So that's not even a possibility. You just don't have these three and four thousand dollar cuts in hockey. So we really had to bring the multi sport element in to put that high end chase there. Right. But I think we did it. I think it, I think the checklist is great. Wait till you see Pro Multi Sport. Yeah. It's a stronger checklist than hockey by far.
0: Really? Oh yeah. Wow, okay. Well it's strong. It's strong. <laughs> and then the just the the memorabilia that, that was in Leaf Pro Hockey, was was insane. Now, that's Uh, extraordinary.
3: And again, it's just the fact that we have a better hockey inventory than the Hockey Hall of Fame. Right. That's the only reason it's possible. That's why the other companies that make hockey, they do some things really well with rookies and such. But when it comes to retired player content, Mm -hmm. without having the assets we have, it's impossible to execute. You can try. It just can't be done. And I think, again, Greg Cohn, who does all our product stuff, used to be at Upper Deck back in the day. He executed just killer. And now here at the show, Ultimate. Executed unbelievably, right?
0: He's very. Proud they of are stuff.
3: unbelievably good, yeah. And he did it. I mean, I'll give him full credit. I help come up with ideas, but this guy executes like a champ.
0: Absolutely. I posted uh, a single card from Ultimate from the uh, from the products, and it was a it was a full Mighty Duck logo from. It's the like stupid, 90s. crazy patch, stupid. stupid. I, stupid. And the, that's not the best patch on the yeah. product. But that's a sick patch. I was just like. My God, this is the best patch I've ever seen, and leave it to leave to do it.
3: Well, and, uh, and unlike, again, when you see those kind of patches in some of the other products, they're rookie photo shoot or player worn or whatever. Right. They're not game used. Right. And they're certainly not game used by incredible players, which that's why this product's phenomenal. It's just the game use we have is phenomenal, and we're just, we're blessed to be able to take that inventory and let people have a piece of it, you know? Sure.
0: A couple of years ago, you announced that you guys were doing away, not doing away, but you're going to let the, uh, the chl license go and all that stuff have you found that not having those licenses been able to let you have a little more leeway in your product
3: well the, but here's the thing chl kind of was ended up being two or three releases a year for us right and we found out something very important which is people don't prospect hockey
1: mm-hmm.
3: not until the guys become pros then they prospect it well you know the idea behind what we did was to be the bowman of hockey mm-hmm. and conceptually yes the problem is, again, the Canadians don't care about some kid, unless they're from the city. They don't care about a place for the Brampton whoever, so the, they just don't care unless it's a local guy. Right. Now, you occasionally will have that McDavid, and everyone chases that guy. But once you get past the first couple of guys, no one knows. And that's why you can walk around this show, and you'll see the new CHL products. Not mm-hmm. that they're not well done, because I predict does a good job. But they're sitting on tables being you know, discounted because... Mm-hmm. It's CHL. Right. And, that, and so we found out when it came time to either match their offer or walk away, we just looked and said these products, they're our worst products all year, it's the three CHL products, and they shouldn't have been. Right. But they were, and we're honest about it. We know we can make products that are much more compelling with those slots. Sure. So we did not And Upper Decks got CHL. I think they do a great job with what they're making. Hopefully the customers will come along and start supporting it. But I'm not so sure guys are going to adjust to prospecting hockey. I just don't think so.
0: I, I you know, as the hockey analyst I don't see it I don't see it happening at Beckett Not so. at CHL
3: level. Now yeah, once they go pro right, once they go pro they'll buy these young guns and things. Yeah, exactly.
0: You know? So <laughs> let's talk about uh one of my favorite products thus far this year was Leaf Ultimate Draft Football and you guys were one of the first for, I think you might have been the first company to put it out a Kyler Murray autograph. Tell me can you tell me how that deal happened?
3: Well again, with Kyler, I mean we knew early that we were gonna be paying up because I mean we just knew Kyler has the same agent as um, as um, the coach in Arizona. Right, they have the same agent. <laughs> so the minute he was hired in Arizona, we were like, "Oh crap, he's taking Kyler number one." So we knew he was going to cost us a lot. Our, what what was hard for us is we didn't know if he's playing baseball or football. Okay. So we're dealing with one agent for baseball. Right. And we don't he doesn't have an agent for football. So we're talking to the baseball agent saying, "Well, if he plays baseball, we'll pay this. If he plays football, we'll pay this because football pays more than baseball. Yes. Because the guys are further away. It's whatever." And so we have different deals on the table, and then he ended up scrapping baseball. That agent's gone completely. Mm -hmm. Then a new agent walks in. We're renegotiating, and it literally is the last second that we got the deal done to get him in metal football and then the blasters at retail. Wow. We was last second. And we're just happy to get him. It cost a lot of money. It's not cheap at all. Mm -hmm. But Kyler has a chance to be super exciting. And the draft for Arizona, really, they put pieces around him. Right. The guy's going to have weapons. Absolutely. And I mean, David Johnson suddenly just became a great player again because he's got a quarterback that can play.
0: Right, you know.
3: Yeah, and it's good for Rosen too. He'll be in Miami. Maybe something good will happen for him. Maybe he'll get a shot, and you know, who knows? But I think Kyler in, in Arizona is a monster.
0: I think I think so too. And uh, once the market adjusts adjusts to it, you know, here in the next few weeks with his autographs now being live from your products and you know, Panini and stuff like that, it's going to be crazy.
3: It's good, yeah. We and again, every product, his cards sell great. And which is why we get to work with them again. We we did very good this year. We didn't miss any big guys really. Mm-hmm. I think the only guy I would have liked to have done is T.J. Hawkinson. We didn't do a tight end out of Iowa, but I don't think our product's going to sell or not sell because we missed T.J. Hawkinson. We got all the big offensive skill guys, and that's really all we can do.
0: So you've been doing this for a long while. Who are some uh, Who are some of the uh, names that people might not know right now that they should be looking at looking for?
3: I mean, the draft is really strong at wide receivers. So you got guys like A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf out of Ole Miss. You've got um, you got running backs like David Montgomery. You've got uh, Josh Jacobson. I mean, you've got so many guys. It's very deep. What mm-hmm. you don't have is five monster quarterbacks. You don't have, like, last year. Right, right. We had, like, the perfect storm. Every great quarterback's in one draft. Mm-hmm. We don't have that this year. We have a bunch of good quarterbacks. We have Kyler, who's great. Haskins is very good, I think. Right. Daniel Jones could be very good. We don't know what he is yet. Um as you get down to the later rounds, I do kind of like guys like Will Greer. Mm-hmm. I do kind of like guys like Jarrett Stidham in New England. I mean, there are some interesting pieces there. But this is one of those drafts where there's going to be a little bit of wait and see. Sure. But there, it's deep enough. I think we're going to hit a few guys here. David Montgomery is one of the guys I think I've brought off the top of my head. People don't know who this guy is. And you got a shot. But there's guys like Hakeem Butler. Mm-hmm. Who is a big beast? I don't know how this guy was taken in the fourth round only by Arizona. <laughs> whatever. He's a monster. But, I mean, so there's guys I think have a shot of being epic. I think, but so, we too. just don't have this headline right off the bat where it's like, holy crap, we got three quarterbacks in the top five and they're all machines.
0: Now we don't we, really have that. What we do have is that in basketball next year with Zion. Ooh. I mean, what, what, what just from again, you've been doing this a while. And we, everybody respects your opinion out there because you have been doing it a while. What are your initial thoughts? On Zion. People are going to buy the stuff. I mean, I don't
3: know. Hey, listen, is he going to be that generational mega LeBron, whatever? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think anyone who says they know is probably shooting their mouth off. They don't know. But I think people are going to buy his cards. I think we're going to see numbers we've never seen for a Hoops autograph. Right.
2: I think right. when Hoops <laughs> autographs
3: are 200 out the gate, people have never had to pay 200 for a Hoops rookie auto. These things are going to happen. I can see his rookies being 200 for pretty much any ink on day one, which is crazy.
0: Yeah. But
3: then the big stuff will be epic. I mean, right. treasures, is 25000 30000 on day one. I mean, I can't even imagine. By then we'll know if he's good or not, so we'll get to see a little better. But the hype is going to be phenomenal. But I also think uh, Jay Morant and uh, and uh, Barrett, I think both right. those guys, RJ Barrett, yeah. these are good players. Absolutely. So it's not a one-horse show, but much like the LeBron year, mm-hmm. the second and third horse may not get enough attention. Right, like Melo and uh, D Wade, right. did not get the attention that they would have had there not been a LeBron there. So, I, people are going to go nuts for the guy, and I I would fully expect him to go with Padini and do a car deal with them, you know. Mm-hmm. But he's he's going to be something to watch. It's good for the hobby because we need these. Like, I mean, we don't really need the excitement because the hobby's the best it has ever been right now. But this is going to pump us with some excitement for sure. It sure will.
0: Uh, what do you what do you think's coming? I mean, you've spoken on this before uh, on the podcast, and we've heard you at uh, you know industry s- functions. What do you think is coming in the future for for the hobby? And I, I know you're big on we're a bull market right now, but well, was-
3: I know. And, and you know, in 2017, I need to find the video because someone recorded it at the summit, industry summit in 2017. I stood up on the stage during my time, and I said, "This is the beginning of an epic bull market, the likes of which the hobby has never seen." Right. I said, "This is the beginning. It's going to be a multi-year bull market." And maybe I'm just lucky because it turned out exactly to be that at exactly that time. <laughs> so I'm probably the luckiest guy around. <coughs> Excuse me, but um, I think we got a big run coming.
0: I think so too. I think it's going to be a big <coughs> thing with uh, you know, just the names coming out in basketball. This this draft, you said, you know, it, it might be a wait and see for the football guys, but once those guys finally hit, it's I think it's, it's going to be, be big, huge. Yeah, it's going to be huge. Even a guy like like. Daniel Jones. From, is it Daniel Jones from, from Duke? From that Duke, wasn't yeah. I mean, even that could be big. I mean,
3: Well, he looks the part. So, yeah. I mean, we'll see if he can play the part, but he looks the part.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What, what are your thoughts on, um, if you don't want to speak to it, it's fine, but I've never known you to shy away from a, a conversation piece. What are your thoughts on Gary Vee and the what kind of what he's saying about sports cards right now? Well,
3: he certainly wasn't the first to say it because, again, in 2017, <laughs> exactly. I said it's the beginning of the bull market. But I think there's some truth to what he says. And listen, anyone who is saying good things for the hobby, I'm always a fan of that. Right. I have no problem with that at all. But I think the most important thing is it's on the manufacturers here. And this is an element he wouldn't understand because he hasn't been in this part of the business. If the manufacturers continue to act responsibly, and by that I mean not overproduce, keep the, and they've done a good job, Tops, right. Panini, no one is overproducing. Right. And that's why we're hanging in there. If we overproduce, the games, the jig is up, and we will take a step back. Right. But right now there is not enough product. And I see no date on the horizon where there will be enough product. I I'm not being funny when I say I think this could be a five to ten year bull market if the U.S. and world economy hold up. Right. That's the only thing I can see derailing us at this stage. It's it's sheer fire, and I think Gary v, he's on the right track, and I like the hypiness of what he says. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see a you know I'd love to see more people that have more hobby knowledge stepping up and saying what he's trying to say with a little more meat to it than sure. just sure shock value kind of stuff. You know, I don't know if sneaker guys are what's driving the hobby. I think what's driving the hobby is an amazing amount of 19- to 25-year-old kids running around with 10 grand in their pocket.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. You have no idea what's going on here. People walk around these shows now, and there are kids (coughs) 18 years old with 20 grand in their pocket buying crap. I don't know where they got the money. Yeah, neither do I. Either mom and dad do good, or these (laughs) kids have worked, or I don't know what happened, but... The amount of money in play is crazy. Absolutely crazy. And I think it's uh I think it's I don't think it's sneakerheads getting this thing going. I think it is baby boomers and
2: mm-hmm.
3: kids of baby boomers who you know, who did cards when they were younger, people my age, right, who just have disposable income now and they're saying, you know what, I'm gonna have fun, but honestly, this is an investment again. Right. And the production is so limited relative to the float of a stock or any of those type of things, it's it's a no brainer. I mean, mm-hmm. Things have gone almost straight up now for a couple of years. Absolutely.
0: What are, What are your thoughts about um, a lot of product ending up with breakers now? Because I mean, I know that I know that's kind of what the market is, but a lot of it ends up with breakers, and it's kind of disappointing sometimes. In my my opinion. Well, here's the thing. They they want
3: to they once asked John Dellinger, "Why do you rob banks?" And he said, that's where the money is. Right. <laughs> and so, I mean, honestly, the breakers are where the customers are. Yep, yep. Customers want to. And this is the thing people who talk about breakers being bad and that's bad for the hobby. And again, I'm not going to, I think stores are very important, right. mind you. Mm-hmm. But the thing with breakers that's unique is a customer wants to be able to open a case of cards.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But cases of cards are very expensive. Now, yes. the average consumer cannot pay 2500 for a case of something. Right. So they get to experience share in an entire case opening mm-hmm. they get the same fun and excitement of watching that open and being a part of it with a $50 $70 $120 buy-in right and to me that appeal is not going away
0: I don't think so either
3: I think the only questions are legal questions mm-hmm. and that's not my purview I'm if you ask me about intellectual property and using someone's image or something I understand a lot more about that
1: mm-hmm.
3: you know or, or licensing deals I get all that stuff but the legality of this, I don't know. But assuming it's legal, it's great stuff. And I think consumers are not going to shy away from getting to open a $2,500 case with a $120 investment.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I don't see it I either. don't think
3: it's going away. And I think the, the problem is I see more and more hobby stores starting to open because the market's so amazing. The problem is they can't get product. Right. They call the distributors. Distributors are like, we have no product to give you. Right. You have no track record. So even if you want to open a store and do something great for this industry and be part of it, you can't. Right. You pretty much have to go pay secondary market prices and cross your fingers. And it's very <laughs> hard to do. Yeah, You know, and so I think um, being a store is not easy. I've had stores. Mm-hmm. I've had multiple stores over the years. Um, you know, we sold a store to BC Sports who had a chain in the Northeast for a million dollars, a store we used to have in Dallas. So we've we built great stores and sold them. But I will tell you that um, the breakers are here to stay. Yeah. And we have to embrace that. And what needs to happen is every store in America should be breaking. Right. I mean, that's the thing. It's not like you have to be just a breaker to be a breaker. Mm -hmm. A store has a huge advantage. Because in addition to marketing to customers outside the store, their rent's already paid. Mm -hmm. And they have local customers that can also buy in. They have customers no one else are going to find. Right. It's a unique opportunity. So every store in America should be breaking. I think so, too. The problem is a lot of stores are kind of stodgy in their thinking. Mm -hmm. And they see the breakers as the devil or the enemy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hate to be cliche, but we're all kind of all in this together. Right. There's... There was plenty of money to be made by everybody, but we had to be flexible and fluid. And we've always been fluid in everything we did. When we had a store, wherever the money was, whether it was Pogs, Beanie Babies, Webkins, you name it, that stuff was in our store. And it was because that's what the customers wanted. I mean... I promise you, if people want fidget spinners, you go into Seven Eleven; they're going to have fidget spinners on the counter. Sure, you know, right? That's pivoting to consumer demand, you have to do it. Yeah. And stores are going to have to adapt to the new way of doing breaks and yeah. and the new way of selling
0: cards. It, it, Mike Mike Fruitman immediately comes to mind, who's been doing breaks, and he runs a store very well, and he's adapted well uh, up there in Colorado. But I know there are other other stores out there who don't do that. And, there are some stodgy yeah. stores that are just and it's
3: their classic like card guys. they like I'm an old school card guy, and so for me, it was an adjustment, but. I mean, I'm a businessman too. I get it. Sure. And I think again, guys like Mike, they try, they do some really good things for the hobby. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're promoters of the hobby. They talk good about the hobby.
0: Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it's important. That's important. And,
3: but they also have some things they can do better in their stores, and they've got to constantly evolve. And and they make choices sometimes that are not necessarily the best choices for their store. I mean, they got to figure that out too. So no one's perfect. Right. I don't put any distributor or any retailer on a pedestal. and Say this guy does everything right. Right. In singles, Rob Veris at Burbank does the most right, probably.
0: Right. Probably. Yeah.
3: And- this area, you know, Mike, Mike Fruitman may be the best at this. But then in other areas, they're weak. You know, so I think everyone's got to constantly look at their business and evolve. And that includes everybody from breakers to internet retailers to distributors to stores to whoever.
0: What's coming up for, uh, for Leaf in the, in the rest of 2019?
3: And we have so many products. We have 30-something products still coming out this year. Wow. The big thing is the products at the National this year were outrageous. Uh, in the game used, multi-sport. We did that last year. Mm-hmm. It was the product of the National. Right. On day one at the show, it was $130 on dealer's tables, and on day three, it was $220. Wow. It went. It got sucked up. It was amazing. That's coming out this year, and Pop Century is coming back, which the oh. checklist this year is phenomenal. We're going to start teasing in the next week or two, but I mean...
0: There were some preview cards in Pearl, right?
3: Uh, Harrison Ford was in Pearl. He's yeah. coming back. But then we added some guys that have never had autographs. A few I can give you Matthew Broderick, he's never signed. Oh, wow. Uh, Steven Seagal. Nice. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Nice. So, not that it's much of a debate, but if you ever thought like Jennifer Jason Lee or Phoebe Cates, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, at least you had the Jennifer Jason Lee part here. We're still working on Phoebe Cates, you know, for you uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont yeah. High fans. But um, names like that that are just, they're good, unique names. Sarah Michelle Geller. She's nice. had cards, but she's fantastic in right. every way, pretty much. Right. So, we had Sarah Michelle Geller, <laughs> Jennifer Love Hewitt. It's just it's a it's a powerful checklist, and I think we just did a deal with Chris Hansen from Dateline NBC. Really, and he's going to write on the cards. Why don't you have a seat? There's something <laughs> I need to tell you. I'm Chris Hansen with Dateline NBC, and I love those shows. They're, yeah, it's fascinating to me that these guys are such idiots. But I thought that's a great like just a gimmicky type card that's kind of pop culture ish. Right.
0: Yeah. Definitely. So we're
3: always looking for like unique little just. Unique little plugins of unique names like that. That's
0: really cool, man.
3: Yeah. So it's gonna be fun. National's gonna be great, and we're bringing half a million to spend. So if people have cards to sell for our buyback products, you know we're gonna be cranked up, ready to go. They don't
0: like my caricature, Brian.
3: I just looked at that caricature and I thought, "Wow, is that bad? <laughs> I, you have a face for radio in that picture. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. But no, I, I,
0: that doesn't look like you. No, I'm not even sure what it looks like. But it's not you. I, I look like Confucius. Or just confused? You look like, in that picture, I don't know. Wow. Man. There's Confucius in there somewhere.
3: Yeah. But I think, I don't know. It must have been like an oxygen pump got hooked up to him. <laughs> he's, he's a little bloated, Confucius. We'll take but, a, uh, it, It's not a great picture. You're better looking in person, kind of.
0: We'll, we'll take a scan of that and post it up. We'll see if it You looks have like, to.
3: Yeah, we have
0: to. We'll have a poll. Yeah, we'll have a I'm poll. I'm going to vote no.
3: Okay, <laughs> no. so start me with no. Doesn't look good.
0: Awesome. So we're 1-0. 1-0. All right, Brian, thanks so much for growing up. You got friend. it, Bubba. Always fun. Uh, you're you're catching a plane uh, flight back to Dallas. So, yeah. Uh, good luck with that. For sure. For sure. <laughs> we'll see you back home. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. Guys, thanks for hanging out with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, join us next time. Until then, just keep listening. Cue the Drake.